0: This episode of the Fast Brackets Podcast is brought to you by TimeslipCharts.com, mobile-friendly logbook and analysis. So you can quickly enter, view, and analyze your runs from your phone or PC. You can analyze your season, recognize your trends, and catch your weaknesses quickly at timeslipcharts.com because it's a cloud-based logbook that you can use anytime to track your logs, get advanced stats, and use those analytics to improve your performance. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show. Guys, girls, it is episode number 30. Number 30. It is the second week of November and... Episode number 30 is a big deal in the podcast world. I don't know why that is. Uh, I just know that it is. I just know that the sky is blue and burnouts are fun. I don't know why. I just know that they are. So the industry says that 30 episodes will tell you exactly what your listenership is and if it is sustainable or not. So here we are. We made it. And the results are in. Fast Brackets Nation, you are a hit. Um, We are 30 episodes in, and we are just getting started. This thing is going to get bigger and better, and I am so proud to have a small part in representing all of you out there in the nation. In our lingo, the 60-foot was really good with this. The first 30 episodes was the 60-foot, Um, But hold on, this is about to get fun. Hey, I just got back from Vegas, baby. Um, I hit the SEMA show, then the Vegas divisional, and I was hyped to get out there. I mean, uh, first of all, it was about to snow when I left Indy, so I was fired up to get away from that mess. Um, And I was ready to check out SEMA for the first time. I'd never been, heard all about it. Very excited to check that out, um, and, and that was awesome. Um, and also then um, I, I wanted to check out the Vegas facility, the strip at uh, out there, um, and just meet some people while wearing some short sleeves still before I had to put those away for the next four months. Um, hey, SEMA was great. I met some incredible people, saw some really cool stuff, and overall just really enjoyed myself. Um, it's not exactly PRI, um, but I dug it. Um, you know, PRI is a little more our speed, uh, but, but I dug it. I had a good time with it. Um, Vegas is Vegas, man. Like, uh, the strip is, is great. Uh, that action is always good, but, uh, Hey, no, it, it was really good. And personally, I was really excited to see the strip at Las Vegas uh, motor speedway, um, I've always wanted to be there. I had never been before, but I've always kind of felt like Simmermaker Motorsports has always had a very small part in making that is what it is today, and uh, here's why. The way my dad tells it, um, and he never lies to me. Well, he's lied to me twice. I think he told me Santa Claus was real and the Easter Bunny were real, but other than that, he never lies to me, so I have no reason not to believe him. But uh, 50 years ago, legitimately 50 years ago, 1969, um, he is stationed at Nellis Air Force Base. He he joins the Air Force. He he gets assigned to Nellis. Not a bad assignment. Marries my mom. They're living out there, and he buys himself a uh, 1969 Chevelle SS 396, 350 horse. It is a beautiful burgundy car. pictures of it, it's it's fantastic. But according to him, everybody um, you know, that had cars and would were car guys, um, they would just leave the strip and go as far north as they needed to be, to be in the middle of the desert. Now when you look at where the Strip is today compared to uh, downtown Vegas, it doesn't seem that far. It's just the next exit. But at the time, that was in the middle of the desert. Um, I'm sure there were a few bodies buried around there somewhere. But but that's where they would go to Drag Race because it was in the middle of the desert. There was nobody out there. They could do what they want. They were, quote, unquote, safe. Um, and that is the spot where they would race. Everybody became racers there. That was kind of the spot to go. Um, and that's where they built uh, the first drag strip um, out there. And then it was ultimately replaced by the strip at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. So I was heard stories about that growing up and how cool it was out there and that scene. And I was excited to go check that bad boy out in Vegas, you did not disappoint. You did not disappoint. The weather was gorgeous. It was perfect. Not a cloud in the sky. 80 and sunny during the day. It was 60 and cool at night. Uh, No wind to speak of. It was absolutely gorgeous. The facility was incredible. The drag racing gods made it happen for me, man. It was uh, unbelievable. Great experience. The whole weekend was just perfect um i could not have asked for anything better so that's how i'm feeling this week and um that's how we're going to start the show but uh Hey, I've got a couple of great guests this week. I cannot wait to get them on. Uh, Joe Fisher from Racing RVs will be on with us. And then Brad Plord, uh, Comp Eliminator Champ, will come on and help us out a little bit. I cannot wait to have them on, so let's get to it. Get to doing whatever it is that you do while you're listening to the show. Make your commute. Clean the shop. Load that rig and get to the track. Whatever it is you do, but metaphorically speaking, get your helmet on. Get Strapped In, because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's get them hot. Let's put this thing in the water box. And I just talked about Vegas and um, how awesome that whole event was. And going into this thing, the whole conversation was about top sportsmen, the national championship, and Doug Crumlich. Could he make a run? Could he win the event and win the national championship? Um, So the way this thing shook down was Sandy Wilkins is sitting in first place and he he's from the North Carolina, so he's out out east, sitting watching on on the uh, internet. Doug is sitting third um, with a mathematical possibility of winning winning this thing if he wins the event. So he can't go and win a couple rounds. He can't improve. He has to win the event. And Doug ultimately makes an incredible effort. Um, but uh, we'll get to that more of that later. But as I'm watching this super cool event in Vegas, it is 64 car qualified field. Um, and truthfully one that I immediately put on my bucket list after having seen the facility, et cetera. Um, I I was like, this is great. The, the last event of the year, it's not a 32 car field. It's a 64 car field. And wow, was it, was it impressive? Um, and it, to that point, it gives an extra round, so there are there is an extra point to be had there, um, and it it would have allowed Doug to win the national championship. Um, and so, what it on the way home, and I had multiple flights and delays and things like that to really think this through, um, but it made me wonder. Let's suppose if the roles were reversed, let's say Doug Crumlich was sitting number one and Sandy Wilkins was sitting number two, or in this case, how Doug was sitting number three, could he have made the trip uh, from the East Coast to Vegas to attempt that? Um, or better yet, should he have to? Um, should he have to drive all the way across country to to have that opportunity? Is, is the point of this to be the person with the most free time on their hands or uh, the person with the biggest travel budget and ability to leave home, Um, I can't imagine this should be the point of all this. The point of all this, the national championship race, is to see who the best racer is. Now, certainly we we all know travel is the price of admission to this. We all get that. We're on board with it. We sign up for that. And we'll have Joe Fisher on the show later to talk more about how getting to and from these events, he can make life a little bit easier for that. But um, that's part of it. And certainly the West Coast guys bear the burden of long travel and extended time away from home 90% of the time. Travel is an absolute mess out there. And, um, you know, certainly they deserve the benefit of the doubt. Um, but I'm just wondering and given that there is an extra round and extra points to be had at the last event of the year um, and the point is to actually determine the best racer should there be a 64 car event field east of the Mississippi as a final event also um you know I just I'm just curious about your thoughts on that topic I mean the Vegas, event was incredible and i'm just telling you if you've you should go if you're on the east coast um, or in indiana or north of uh the mason dixon just to enjoy the weather and to see great drag racing but if you know if you want to race there but if there was a similar event to end the year on the east coast does that make sense um i'm just curious about your thoughts on that topic and um and, and I'm really interested in what you have to say about that. I loved it, um, and I just want to curious about if the roles were reversed, how that would have shooken down. So I'm curious. Uh, you know how to reach me. You know how to reach the show, at Fast Brackets on Twitter and the Fast Brackets podcast page on Facebook. Let me know what you think. It occurred to me, and um, I just was uh, – it, it kind of got my wheels turning, so, uh, you know um, – Wanted to hear about your thoughts. It also occurred to me on the way back um, as I was dealing with this travel that we have got to get some drag racers involved with engineering these airplanes. I mean, apparently if the seats are not in their full and upright position, the plane gets unbalanced and the whole thing is doomed and we're going to crash and burn. Um, I really can't imagine trying to understand how someone's seat back and tray position could affect the landing but it is very clear uh given the amount of time that the stewardesses take to uh instruct us and reprimand those who can't get their seat in the full and uprighted position how important that is so made me a little nervous and i thought if we could get some drag racers involved uh that would definitely help the cause and uh maybe not make me so nervous flying around the country going forward (laughs) All right, let's put it in the beams, presented by ThisIsBracketRacing.com. Um, and on the show today was supposed to be Joe Fisher from Racing RVs. Um, of course, he is is truly um, one of the most important men in Fast Brackets Nation. He's, of, of course, the proprietor of Racing RVs, uh, which is the headline sponsor of all the classes that we love and uh, he runs a crew of cars himself, and and unfortunately, Joe had an emergency that has uh, would not allow him to come on today. So um, we'll have to reschedule that. We will definitely get him back on and have him come on and tell us all about um, the great the great opportunities that he has in the racing RV um, rigs. I know he's got some great promotions going on right now. So and really. I mean, here's the deal. If you're in the market, you have to start with Joe and racing RVs. Um, he's been so good to our sport and in an effort to continue to build it and grow it, we have to support each other out there. So um if you're in the market and I know it's that time of year, make sure you go check out RacingRVs.com as your first step in looking at all your toters and trailers and we'll get joe rescheduled and another event so uh my apologies but we just could not be helped today uh we will try it again uh, next week or down the line today's half track report is brought to you by drag race lawyer.com hey We all have legal needs. Um, Sooner or later, we will have legal needs, sometimes very unexpectedly. So um, I'm not saying you need to, but you need to call Ed Harney at DragRaceLawyer.com because you are a drag racer, and so he he is. And if you need him, you can hit him up at DragRaceLawyer.com. Just protect yourself, guys, girls. Um, Hey, let's get to it. Let's get to it. Let's talk about the Division Seven NHRA event in Vegas. Um, All right, let's start with Top Dragster. Um, There were 68 cars there for the 64-car field. There were uh, no national points implications here. Danny Nelson has done his work early um, and went on that incredible run and wrapped that up. But uh, the competition was still very fierce. Um, Your number one qualifier going 6'10 with a 1 at 234 miles an hour was Aaron Stanfield, absolutely moving. Um, There were five people that got speeding tickets in Q3 trying to get that top spot. So um, even though it was a 64-car field, people were not letting up. It was incredibly cool. Um, Just keep this in mind. So it was a 64-car field. Um, but if it was a 32 car field like normal, then that bump would have been a 648 with a three. So now, if we take into consideration that um, there is a tenth and a half that Super Gas and Super Comp get on their index, like a you know Super Comp index is usually 890, but for the Vegas event because of the altitude. They bring it up to 905. So if we account for that, the 32 car field plus the 10th and a half, that bump at 32 cars would have been a 633. Wow. That is incredibly fast. That is indie level, U.S. national bad fast. And keep this in mind. If you were in the middle of the field, if you were in, let's, say qualified 30th or 35th you wouldn't have to lean on it so that in in general terms i would say that man that was an incredible field and uh well worth the price of admission right there ultimately al Kenny gets the win in an uncontested final when both competitors on the other side of the ladder broke um al certainly earned it there was a unique situation early where there's a timer and he had to come up and uh timing issue and he had to come up and rerun the round got it done certainly earned that one and ultimately became the division one top dragster champion in the process so congrats to al kenny and all of the top dragster competitors that put on an absolute show in vegas now on the top sportsman side um, and this is really um, where it got interesting um, because, of course, we talked about Sandy Wilkins was sitting at number one, watching from home on the, on the computer, and now it was up to Doug Crumlich to see if he can improve on his third-place national finish last year and make the leap from third to first this year. And all Doug had to do was just go into that event and win it. Nothing less would help his cause. Um, and, you know, he was playing with house money that way. So he goes, he can be um, really aggressive and uh, and feel loose and, and go get it. Um, there were 62 cars that made the call for the third qualifier. Uh, the bump was reasonable, but certainly with 62 cars, Uh, not quite there. Your number one qualifier was Jim Thorpe in his Haas ProCharge Camaro, that beautiful machine. Um, He goes 644 with an eight at 224 miles an hour. And uh, again, the 32nd spot was a 698. So so like we talked about, given the 10th and a half, that bump spot would have been a 688 for the 32 car field. So you know, had they needed to lean on it, that that was a really, really nice field. So uh, congrats to all those guys. Um, getting back to Doug, he gets – they ran two rounds on Saturday, and then they were going to run the last uh, four rounds on Sunday, and Doug wins both rounds on Saturday night. So he goes into Sunday going to bed in the trailer knowing that he has a chance the next day to win the national championship. Um Coincidentally, he still needed to get ahead of Rich Okerman uh, to win the D7 title, and Rich wasn't giving that up very easily. Um, you know, Rich and and Doug had a battle there, and so Rich was still in, and um, they both win third round. So going in, there are three rounds left in the season, um, and. Doug ultimately loses to Ken Ratzloff in his super cool orange Studebaker. That is a really pretty and cool machine. Uh, Ken's 18 pack best Doug's dead on one with 27 total to end his championship hopes. So um, he loses in the fourth round. Um, He needed to win the whole thing. Uh, Congrats to Sandy Wilkins for winning the national championship. Um, Doug, did get a nice consolation prize. Uh he he bends the uh tiebreaker with Rich Okerman, so he does become your division seven top sportsman champion. Congrats to all those guys. Now in the final, uh, familiar name, Larry Demers um, is 003, one above five for an 18 pack to lock out Chris McCallum, who was dead on zero in the final. So, Larry Deemers is your champ in the last event of the year. So, congrats to Larry uh, for winning the first ever Indianapolis U.S. Nationals uh, championship and then now winning the final event a year in Vegas. I mean, in stunning style. So, nicely done to everyone out there. Um, hey, we will cover all the NHRA division winners next week, and we will recap the series champions a little bit uh, next week. Week, whoa, let's get out of the groove for a second and talk competition eliminator. And this is a class that I always uh, seem to compare to cricket you know, that sport that the Brits play that is kind of like baseball, but not quite. Um, to me, that's what Comp Eliminator is. It's, it's like drag racing that I know, but with crazy rules that I certainly don't understand. Um, even though I know that there are rules, it's, it's kind of like instead of bases, um, the cricket players, they put out croquet sticks um, out there. Instead of a bat, they swing a two-by-six with a handle on it. Um, and for whatever reason, the batter has grabbed some hockey goalie gear and won't run the bases at all. Um, which is okay because the pitcher keeps throwing it in the dirt and the fielders have all forgotten their gloves. Um, I I get it. It's a very competitive sport, and people on the know seem to love it. Um, So here to help me figure out Comp Eliminator uh, on the show with us now is a 20-time NHRA national event winner in five different classes, Um, He essentially wins in anything he is strapped into. He was your 2017 U.S. Nationals Competition Eliminator Champion. He currently sits number three in the competition world championship race. Welcome to the show, my friend, Brad Plourd. Brad, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Rex? I'm excellent, but I'm clearly confused. um, That sounds like it. (laughs) Uh, Very confused. Um, You know all about it, though, um, and you've been doing this for a long, long time. Um, Would you mind taking our listeners back and just telling them um, essentially how this reign of terror that you put into anyone in the other lane started?
1: Well, uh, uh, my dad, Bernie, started, you know, so I've I've been going to the races ever since I was born. Um, My mom would carry my sister and I into the stands when— when my dad was racing and, uh, he did take a couple years off when we were in our younger years. Cause it was just too hard. Um, but once, once I turned 12, uh, my sister and I, we got a junior dragster under the Christmas tree. It was just a rolling chassis and we had to save up the money to get a motor and get it painted and, um, put it together. And we did, and we started racing with very, very little success. Um, uh, but learned all the basics, had a great time. I raced more than her. It was more interesting for me. She had other things going on. And, um, and then we, my dad and I, we would, uh, buy and sell some stuff and they always had me, uh, help, you know, we were always 50, 50 on stuff. They never gave me anything, which was, uh, uh, I thank them for that. Now, um, we always would you know, buy a rolling chassis and put a motor in it and race it a little bit, sell it, make a little bit, go on to the next one. Uh, I kind of do the same thing now, but um, long story short, started racing big cars at 16 um, and then just kind of kept progressing and moved into stock eliminator and probably 2002, 2003 for a Northwest kind of a legend, Tom Turner, he uh, he gave me the keys to a couple of his cars and we had some success and won a couple division championships and just from there it just kind of progressed I, I kind of turned it into a living um, people ask me what I do for a living and I say I'm a stay-at-home dad and I'm a drag racer so <laughs> kind of how it got going that's
0: pretty good man that's pretty good life
1: it is it's it's uh been very blessed and very fortunate to have to do what I like and love to do and got a great wife that supports it. So we, uh, we have fun.
0: Yeah. And your dad's still running, right? He's running top dragster now.
1: Yeah, he is. He's running about every class he could. He ran top alcohol dragster for a lot of years on a low budget. Um, he won the 92 winter nationals as his one and only national event win, but he, he won several divisionals and super comp and alcohol and, um, he won. Uh, he's won bracket races, and he won uh, at the Hot Rod Reunion last year in an all he had. And he just he just likes racing. He doesn't really care what he's driving. Right. Um He just enjoys it.
0: And he's he's in the Northwest, but you're um, you're in the Southeast now. How'd that all shake out? Yep.
1: Uh, I moved to Indy. Um, you know, of course, I grew up in Seattle, and when I was about twenty um i moved to indiana uh avon you know the area i know it very well yeah yeah um lived there for probably two three years and uh met my wife down here in alabama and the rest is history moved down here uh it's probably been nine years or so nine ten years we've been married for seven i believe or maybe six i don't know
0: (laughs) you better figure (laughs) that out before she comes home buddy (laughs) 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 no story as old as time man i I love it um and uh and and so along with racing and all that stuff uh, tell us a little bit about uh brad plourd racing products and what you're doing with that
1: yeah as you probably know i've been involved with lucas oil for years and years and years probably 12 years to be honest um they've helped me out a great deal uh I used to run around with Charlotte's dragster and, uh, my job was to carry it around. And when, when she called and said, I want to race, I was at the race ready for wherever she wanted to go. It was, she raced from Seattle to Gainesville. She ran in, um, English town and of course Pomona. Um, and then whenever she didn't race, I got to drive and, and the trailer hauled my second car, whatever that was at the time, super stock stock, whatever. Um, so they've been a great partner to have. And uh, a few years back, probably five, six years ago, I, I uh, started selling their product, um, not just representing them. I, I uh, sell a lot of oil to mostly local racers. Um, I, I handled a uh, pretty large trucking company for a few years. Um, they would buy totes from me, you know, big. 300 gallon totes at a time. Um, but most of the time, it's just uh, a case of 2050 racing oil and a case of sure shift ATF um, and some gear oil, you know, just to the local guys. Cause it, right. the shipping and everything is just, it's really hard to uh, justify shipping yep. a $40 case of oil for $20. You know, it's just like, uh,
0: right. <laughs> eh,
1: it's, it's a uh, logistics are bad. So there's a lot of, a lot of me hauling oil to a track where this guy's buddy can haul it back to him or, um, that type of thing. And I appreciate everyone that's, you know, called me, reached out, look, looking for oil rather than just going to Napa, you know?
0: Well, yeah. And you're, and you're out, you're still racing quite a bit. So typically you can haul that with you, right. And deliver yep. at the track for the most part.
1: Yeah. That's, that's what I like to do. Yep.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and besides the oil, do you um, you sell other products as well? No, mainly just mainly just Lucas Oil.
1: Okay. Probably should venture out to do some more, but uh, at this time I'm just doing just doing the oil.
0: Yeah. Well, let's let's dive into Comp Eliminator here a little bit because this is clearly where I get sideways. But um, um, talk to us a little bit about how you got started um, in a comp car.
1: It was the beginning of the 2017, uh, year. It was probably around April. Um, I got a call from the crew chief for the car. I drive now, the altered, uh-huh. he was in Calgary. He lives in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Oh wow! And, uh, he knew me through my dad and the owner of the car. Harry Schwartz lives in Pensacola, Florida, so it's not far from me. It's about a 5-hour drive. Um
0: Hold on. Let me just get this straight. So the owner lives in Pensacola, Florida. The crew chief is in Alberta, Canada. Like legitimately the farthest yeah. way you can you can't get any farther, right? Northwest yeah. of the continent to the southeast, right?
1: It's it's crazy. Um Sean Brown is his name. He uh he's the crew chief. He he comes with us every time. Like we don't go unless he can come. And uh, so sometimes it's hard, you know, we got um, Harry. Well, anyways, go back to the story They he called me like three times and I didn't recognize the number. So I didn't answer it. Just, I don't, I don't have time for, right. you know, <laughs> if well, I don't know, I you get can, it. I get you it. Know, we all have the telemarketers and all the crap. So I finally answered it and it was him and I've never, I had never met him, but I knew him and my dad had known him and cause he works for, a he works for Les Davenport and um, Les Davenport is a, a well-known tuner in the alcohol world. Uh, he's tuned. I mean, you name it, he's tuned them. Um, he helps a lot of people with fuel systems and Sean works for him. So he asked me and I was like, uh, yeah, I mean, I would love to, I would definitely have to run it by my wife. Um, I know that she's not a huge fan of going fast, um, especially having a – at the time, Paxton was probably a year old. And, um, you know, you just think about all those things a little differently when you have a kid. Of course. It took me three or four days to figure out how I was going to bring it up to her that I got offered this (laughs) driving job. (laughs) Right. So I finally brought it up, and she was actually – pretty cool to it she she wasn't you know she just was worried about the safety of course and i told her it was as safe as car as you could possibly drive i'd probably be safer in it than my nova at the local track to be honest with you because you have to wear everything that a top fuel car right driver funny card you know has to drive or wear hans and 20 layer suit and just everything so she was cool and um we went testing in Montgomery and I made like four or five 8-mile laps and then I made a full run. I think I went like I want to say a 648 or something on my fourth lap at probably 2 210 or something and uh took a couple months off and we went to Bowling Green for the divisional and then we uh we lost second round there. I was uh it, it the car was driving me um I was kind of uh, kind of along for the ride. And then, uh, got a few days to figure it out, went to Indy, and we won Indy. So, um, and then that was our last race of that year.
0: We only ran twice. So you and ran. Then, uh, you rent one event, you kind of figured things out, then went and won Indy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why not? Yeah. Right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Just things fell into our place. Um, that's how comp is, uh, which we'll get into in a little bit. But, um, 18 we we raced it a little bit more um and then this was our first year kind of really going for it um we went and i say going for it is just going to enough races to kind of yeah. give us give ourselves a chance to uh see what we could do in the points and um we still didn't go to all the races we needed to uh once frank aragona kind of shot out there in front we knew first was out of the question um second place is still Uh, possible even though we haven't we still have three races we could go to but of course it's November now so (laughs) we don't have anywhere to go
0: right Um, well there's one event left right now at this point as we record this the national event so you could go to Pomona and and pick up a few points but uh, if you won it you'd get what second is that right? Yes.
1: Yes if I won I'd get second if I run it up I would be one point shy of second oh yeah yeah, so it's a it's a must win. But um, as of recording, we're not going, or I'm not going.
0: Okay, all right. And you're sitting third as we speak, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. Why? Why don't you walk us through the car itself? Because I mean, it's it's a very cool piece. So why don't you tell us um, all about the car?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a 23T. Uh, basically it's a basic, I mean, it's a funny car chassis. Um, it's 125 inch wheelbase and it's got a, uh, altered body on it and it has a, uh, Brad Anderson Hemi, you know, all billet 380 inch blown motor. So typical comp fashion, you got to rev it up. They, they, you know you always hear about comp cars ten thousand rpm, and they they just that's true. they uh, you gotta rev them up to make the power to so anyways, this is a three and a quarter inch stroke, which means that's the same as a three twenty seven Chevrolet gotcha. um so it's a very short stroke, high rpm big blower, um, three speed transmission. We run a linko drive. It's a basically a linko transmission, but we have a converter hooked to it. so we're able to use a trans brake. And then I shift it twice going down the track okay. um, uh, We're limited on the blower We can't run a high helix blower we have to run a standard helix which means uh, kind of the angles of the uh, uh, screw like uh, screws I don't know what you want to call them the um, rotors that's yep. what it is there you um, go. yep so like a high helix would be on a pro mod the standard helix is what a tough fuel car would run um and then of course there's a screw blower which uh like the alcohol dragsters and funny cars run but we're not allowed to run anything but a standard helix so okay there's and and there's a a million rules we have to follow um just like anything else um we have to weigh a certain amount for our cubic inch we have to weigh 2050 um and then it's off of an index it's uh they give you a national index for what class you pick and uh you kind of go from there. And of course it's full tree, bottom bowl, no delay boxes. And, um, but you're running,
0: yeah, but you're running essentially a, I mean, a front, um, engine altered at low six second speeds, um, with a blower and all that. I mean, you said the car was driving you earlier. I mean, you weren't lying. Um, that, that had to be a heck of a ride the first time you went down the track.
1: Yeah. It, uh, I say that at Bowling Green, I think that the groove was kinda narrow there that weekend. Um and I just I just wasn't correcting it quick enough. I mean I wasn't like hitting the wall or the center line or anything like that. It just I did have to lift one run. Um it just drove me and I just wasn't steering it enough. Well now, since I've got probably a hundred laps in the car or more, I don't even know. Um it's just natural now. Like I don't even remember steering it. I don't remember right. I like just it just goes down the track and the guys they just Sean, Harry the owner and then we have two two guys that help us. Robert is our kind of our go-to crew guy. He's there all the time but he broke his back mid-year last year and we we missed him dearly towards the end of the year. But Rodney, the old driver, he he stepped up big time and went to several races with us to help and give us a hand. But man, those guys just they make the car easy to drive for me like i don't have to worry about it going straight or anything it's it just goes it's uh for an altered it's uh extremely easy to drive and i don't i don't even know if that's possible
0: to say right that i mean that's that's against the grain for sure
1: yeah yep especially yep. at that they, speed. they do a great job yeah yeah we've been six uh i think i've been a 621 at 218 and my best eighth mile has been a three ninety seven at probably one seventy eight.
0: <laughs> it's moving, brother. It's moving. And
1: after it. <laughs> yep. And then you got to, you know, hit the bottom and, uh, drive the other you know—drive the other end too. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of a bracket racer's dream, um, I guess some some people's dream.
0: Right. Well, talk us through that. So you you mentioned it's um it's a full tree um. Uh, pro setup i guess so there's no delay box so you're going off the bottom um but that's where i kind of my knowledge base stops can you take it from there Mm -hmm.
1: yeah uh it's a staggered start you have an index um so like it's just like a bracket race you run off your index and of course you've all heard like oh you went 55 under what does that mean let's just make it easy 50 under would be a half second under so like if if your index is seven flat and you want a 650 that's fifty under and that's a good run sure. but you want to go faster um, the faster ga- ga- cars can go sixty under um, so that just gives you just a little bit more uh, to play with at the finish line so let's take for instance, Let's just say we're running first round, and I'm my index is a 704, which it's been for the whole time I drove it until 2019 Indy, because um, I hadn't hit it. But so let's just say it's a 704, and I'm going to run a guy that's index is an 804.
0: Okay.
1: He leaves first. I leave a second later. Right. Say he has a 50 light. I have a 50 light. We go down through there. I catch him because I can go faster than. I can go. You know, most of the time we were sixty plus under. A lot of times we were seventy plus under. We have an extremely fast car for the index. I catch him. I let off as much as I can, and try to take the stripe. You know, conservatively twenty to thirty stripe. You don't want to. You don't want to give back the stripe because if you if you get if you cross second you lose. If you cross first you win.
0: Yeah. So, and there's there's no breakout per se, but yeah, you're trying so, to tighten it up.
1: Yes. So there's no breakout, you want to you want to tighten it up, but you don't want to get stupid. You don't want to be a hero. You say you take a 30 stripe and you go 58 under to beat this guy. And he's 56 under, or 54 under, or whatever the case may be. If you go 58 under first round, the next round, they take 800s because you went past 50 under. So, from a 704, uh, I would be at a 696 the next round.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: Okay. So, that's all well and dandy. You're in the second round. You Now, your index is a 696. So, you're eight 800s later. It's going to be harder to catch that guy, the next guy, whoever that is. Right. Because now you're at an 800s disadvantage. So, And then it gets even – a little more complicated, if you go past 61 under with a zero, if you go, okay, if you go past 60 with a nine under, if you go 61, zero under, yep. that will permanently hitch your personal index 100th. Okay. So, and then from then on, like 62 under, 63 under, 64 under, and so on, it hits permanent. So it's just a matter of how fast do you want to go to win the round or the race
0: Um, let me, let me ask you this. So in that scenario, you, you, um, take a little bit too much and you get hit on your but you only go 58 under. So in that scenario, we need to take eight and pull it back from your index for the next round, right? So we go from 704 to, uh, uh, 696. Yep. We got to count on the other guy doing the same thing in the other lane, right? From the next yes. round. So we, yes. If the other guy doesn't do it, he's an advantage. But if he does the same, then we're kind of back to even again, right?
1: You're right. Um, okay. That's a that's a thing I was talking about earlier in comp. It's so uh, right time, right place, kind of class. Like if the opponent you have second round, like if the best part, the best way to do it is watch your next opponent, if you can run after them and uh, you yep. know what they did. And, and if, if one of them gets a red light and the top qualified guy wins and he's what they call clean, yep. which means he didn't have to hit his index. Theoretically he let off cause he, sure. his opponent red lit, but it happens where the guys don't see the red light and they, but anyway, so he's clean and you're down eight. Who you're, you're, you're at a disadvantage because now he's got all that to play with and you don't unless you want to go faster and beat him and, and go, you know, 6,400 to beat him. But a lot of, you know, a lot of cars can't go that fast. Um, some cars are 5,600 and that's it. Some yeah. cars are 4,600. So – so
0: And the reason around. why that all is is because there are rules for every single combination, Right
1: every yes every combination every class um and and they may have hit themselves two months ago and now they're struggling because their index is hit permanently which will never come back it's you have to now you have to work on your car to get that back
0: it's not like they can just put a bigger kit of nitrous on there and go faster i mean Uh -uh. it's a lot of work
1: no yeah it's heads it's you know it's cams it's uh a lot of these guys that have a typical small block Chevrolet with, you know, one carburetor on it. I mean, they're just limited. They've been working on the same setup for a long time. And, um, you know, they've got to buy another $15,000 set of heads to pick up 12 horsepower. I don't even do Right, it. Right. It's, yeah. It's just, it's nuts. But, um, so going back to the, so I go 58 under first round. Yep. And then if I want to go faster and I, and, you know, maybe I tree the guy a little bit, you know, he's, he's clean. I'm down eight. He's, he sits on the tree a little bit. Say I can grab five, six hundreds on the tree. I catch him. I win. I go 62 under to beat him. Well, that would be, um, the next round it'd be 54 under because I'm, you know, I'm down eight. So, but they add it up. So eight and four is 12. That means I just hit my index permanently. So once you go past that threshold, it starts nicking at it permanently. So that's why a lot of times you'll see a guy lift. You'll see a guy shut off early because he knows he can't catch the guy and he doesn't want to hit his index. Sure. Um, and, of course, on the red lights, that's why you always see him shut off. Um, By runs, always shut off. Uh, it's, it's complicated, but once you figure it out, like, it's, it, it, it all comes around in a circle. It's, it's, it's a very fair way of doing it. You know, if if a guy's got a oh, really, really fast combination right now, if he wants to win, he's either got to be really, really good on the tree for several months in a row and just and just doing a heck of a job at the finish line to not hit his index permanently. But he's, chances are he's going to have a guy covered by a tenth or two, and he's going to be 90 on the tree, and he's going to have to hit that index. And it, that's how it just comes back around where – okay, he's winning, but he's going to have to hit the index a little bit, and then he'll come back to where we are. And then the next guy, you know, he – Yeah, it, so that reaction evolving. time
0: is really coming into play then on how much you have to hit the, the index. I mean, a lot yeah. of times, I'm guessing. Yeah, it does, yeah. Yeah. Right, hold on, Brad. i got I got to move the wheel on my abacus right now trying to figure <laughs> this thing out. But uh, I, th- I think it's coming around to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll have to have a beer one night, and um, – really d- dive into it because it's it's a fascinating class and it's uh, i wish there was more participation in it but i know why it's it's just an expensive class and but um uh there's you know this year took a i think it i think it went in the right direction i don't know if you knew but roger brogdon put up a lot of money down in division four yes and that drew a lot of people um we were having Full fields, you know, in at a divisional, and that was unheard of for the you know several years. So that was really good. And I hope he does it again.
0: Yeah, no, that that did it helped uh, quite a bit. And I think, I mean, this is just my gut feeling. I think most people, if given the resources, that's the class they would run um, because I mean, it is as heads up as we can get. Um, by all having different combos, but it just is, um, I mean, it takes a lot of resources and this whole whole thing takes resources, but comp takes it to another level.
1: Yeah. It's kind of like pro stock, but just not
0: to the extreme. Yeah.
1: I mean, nowhere near the same expense, but it's kind of the same as far as just trying to find that every ounce of power and every ounce of ET. Um, and it's, 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 interesting too because the bottom bulb is hard with with cars going that fast it's uh, with no delay boxes it's um, that's why you see a lot of bad lights you see a lot of red lights uh, and and people from the bleachers man say god why did that number two qualifier go red or why did he go 150 on the tree it's it's so much harder than I ever knew when now that I drive it like I've always had a fast car. Like this car is top qualifier, pretty you know, not the top, but top five everywhere we want to go.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And but you don't want to, you can't let off on the tree. You you, you know, my goal is to be 50 or better every time. And um, it's it's a lot harder than you would think in these cars. It's I understand why people would think that, but if if they drove one, they would say, Oh, I see. It's a,
0: oh, for you sure. You know,
1: you got a you got a guy that can only go 37 under first round are there and some you guys go,
0: that run clutches just for that reason to try to maybe tune it a little bit that way
1: um, i don't know if that's the reason they run them but there's there's a lot of clutches out there yeah yeah, yeah makes yep. sense. surely there's a lot more adjustment there but but you got a guy that can only go 37 under first round and you can go 65 under i mean yeah. you're not going to go up there and try to be 20 because if you if you give it away red and all you had to do is be 150, right. but that—that's the thing. It's just like, oh, it's—it's it's, it's a mind is, is. I just try to stay disciplined as best I can and try to
0: be 50 or better. That's my goal every run. Yeah, there's a lot of strategy involved. A lot of strategy, mm-hmm. both on the yep. tree and then on the top end. Uh, that. Oh yeah. Um, I, I really appreciate you, um, helping me out with that, and I certainly will take you up on that beer. You know uh, yeah. how I roll, but uh, I don't oh, know yeah. if I don't know if that's gonna help us clarify anything, but, uh, I mean, (laughs) let's get it in anyway. Um, and speaking of that, um, so thank you for all of that. But, uh, the, the other thing, if you're not going to Pomona now, it kind of gets into your other, um, passion you want to, um, and that is, and what you and I share together is a passion for college hoops. So we got to talk a little bit about your Zags. How are they this year?
1: I think they're going to be pretty good. They come out ranked number 8 um to start, but man, we lost a lot of our stars last year, which is so common nowadays, you know. Duke never has the same team twice, you know, and uh but I think we've got a good a good group. I've watched the first two games um and they they look good. We beat somebody the other day by 50, so that's a good start, but um yeah, I just love it. We just uh, I don't know I've seen them twice in person, and uh, but I've probably only missed – Yeah, I watch every game. My wife, she's even a fan now because <laughs> we, uh, we have to even get a special sports package so I can get the Northwest channels here.
0: Of course, yeah. Um, well, have, and have you seen them um, at Gonzaga in their facility there on no. campus? No.
1: Oh, no. Brad, what are you Never doing? been there. Um, hope to. It's uh it's in Spokane. Um, would love to go one time. Actually, Carolina is going there. Uh, uh, maybe next week, which would just be an unbelievable uh, place to watch. Uh, somebody um,
0: at Carolina that that uh, on their staff is going to get fired. After they go, you know, they go to Gonzaga and play there. That's not going to end well for Carolina. You know <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. Well, you and I went to Cameron Indoor um, and watched uh, the Duke Blue Devils play uh, my my team, the Evansville Aces. It was not a great showing by my Aces, but uh, we went and saw that. So, when you get out to uh, Gonzaga, let me know. I may tag along.
1: Man. If if I go, I will definitely le- let you know. I I plan on going for sure. I just haven't. And my parents live out there still. They probably are two and a half hours from Spokane. They live in the middle of the state in Washington now. Um, in Spokane's on the east side, and uh, yeah, definitely plan on it. Um, that Duke game was awesome. The 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 thing that I still I don't even know how we pulled it off. We we. Oh yeah. You, you set you set this up. And with a bunch of different guys, never met them. And we what did we have, like maybe seven or eight of us? I think
0: there were eight, yeah. I think there were eight of us. Yeah.
1: So we go watch Duke against Evansville. And then we get the bright idea, while we're at the Duke game, we can go to the Carolina game right. <laughs> at Chapel Hill the same night. That's right. So we 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 scored tickets, and we go to watch. The greatest upset I've ever seen in my life,
0: It was awesome.
1: Wofford. Oh, Wofford takes down North Carolina, and we were there. It was a trip I'll never forget. My brother-in-law came with me, and it was awesome.
0: Yeah, and for those of you that don't know, Duke and Carolina, their campuses are about 12 miles apart, and so we, we watched the Duke game, it finishes about the time the North Carolina-Wofford game starts, and it, you probably, even if you don't follow college basketball, you you know North Carolina very well. You've never heard of Wofford. Um, and so the second the Duke-Evansville game is over, we all get in an Uber. We get over there. I was lucky I bought a bunch of tickets um, from a scalper. Right, We all walked in. And Wofford just starts making everything they throw up. And uh, it was unbelievable. And the Carolina people, I mean, 18,000 people walking out of there in their light blue uniforms, uh, you know, cussing and, and, you know, wanting to hang Roy Williams. I mean, who's a hall of fame coach, you know, it just yeah. was, uh, it was really, really a cool night. And uh, yeah, we'll have to try to do that again at a different venue before too long.
1: little side note. So uh, Wofford beats them. And, of course, we all go home, fly home, whatever. Well, then my wife and our friend, Shannon, go to Gonzaga at Carolina. Of course, I've got my Zag sweatshirt on, and Katie's got her stuff on. We're all decked out. And, and Zags were ranked number one the week before, but I think we lost to Tennessee. This is just last year. I think we lost to Tennessee earlier in the week. Well, we drive up there. And we get beat by Carolina, and it was a that was a tough uh, tough walk out of there with our our zag stuff. But you go from watching Wofford beat them to then you got your team there and and uh, <laughs> going number one in
0: there, and uh. But uh, we'll that's get we'll get them. That that's why it's fun to follow. Yeah, and uh, that certainly is why we call this out of the groove. We got uh, a little sideways yeah, on this one, but that did. that is quite all right, Brad. I appreciate you coming on. Um, that is the great Brad Plord. As we hit the mile per hour cone, hey guys, girls, uh, sadly the season is over and it is time to freshen up those cars and rigs. Um, so. Keep in mind, this is our tech section, so certainly um, anything that you guys, girls, want to cover in this section, um, all you have to do is let me know. You know how to get a hold of me. Reach out and let me know what you want covered going forward. I would really like the mile per hour cone to um, have more guests um, as we go on with this thing. Really, I think this segment, we need to get bigger and better for 2020. And we certainly will. But if you think you know someone that would be a good addition to the show, please let me know. Um, I want to get the information out there. And uh, 2020 is going to be fantastic. But this is one section I really want to be better at next year. And so I need your input to do it. Um, Good luck uh, pulling those rigs and the cars apart and making them better for next year. um, And let me know what you're doing to your car what you um want to know information about and what we could potentially cover in this section going forward all right let's bring it back in and take the stripe guys girls that is the show it is time to pull the shoots on episode number 30 there it is there's the wind light producer rob right on time playing gloria i love it hey uh Thanks to our guest, uh, Brad Plourd, for coming on. That was an incredible conversation. Uh, We'll get Joe Fisher on next time. Uh, Next week, we will recap all the Point series. um, And as always, we will have the best drivers and tech talk um, ever. Please tell your like-minded Fast Brackets friends about the show. You can subscribe on SoundCloud and on that purple iTunes podcast app if that's how you get down. Um, Please continue to get the word out and welcome everyone you know to Fast Brackets Nation. Uh, You can hit us up at Fast Brackets on Twitter or the Fast Brackets podcast page on Facebook. Um, You guys have been fantastic all year. Really enjoyed getting to know you guys in Vegas. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe. This episode of the Fast Brackets Podcast was brought to you by timeslipcharts.com, mobile-friendly logbook and analysis. Guys, girls, go on to timeslipcharts.com. Check it out. See how it can improve your program. I bet you'll be amazed, surprised. Just like Jacob Murphy said, every industry is going to advance stats, and we are no different. Go in, check it out, see how it can improve your program. Your shows just keep getting better, man. Number 30, baby. That's industry standard. And you keep getting better looking. It's it's almost unbelievable.